Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 79 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today, I have Matthew Aguilar. What up? Janelle Wheeler. Hey, everybody. And Connor Casey. The four horsemen are back together. Yeah, so basically everybody we had uh, this time last week. And we're back today because uh, we got to clean up a little bit of what we were working on last week, which was uh, WWE's Hell in the Cell, so we're going to do a recap of that. But we've also had some big news drop, so we are going to be discussing Marvel's selection for Moon Knight, our first look at Titan's version of Red Hood and the new Batgirl costume. We have some uh, big gaming news to talk about. Assassin's Creed is getting a Netflix series. Cyberpunk 2077 has been uh, delayed again. So we got to talk about all that news. And in our deep dive today, we're going to be reviewing and talking spoilers about the ending of Batman Three Jokers, the controversial new Batman kind of Joker continuity storyline came to an end with some uh, big twists and reveals. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to do a review of Borat 2 or Borat subsequent movie film, which is, of course, a hot and or controversial topic right now. Plus, Matt has the new comics of the week. And in our rundown section, we got a few uh, things just to keep you up on before we get out of here. So we're going to drop those for you, too. So we got a good show and uh, let's get to the news because we got a lot to cover. All right, at the top, like I said, we are going to be talking about Marvel's Moon Knight. So yeah! Marvel's Moon Knight <laughs> is one of the second-gen wave of Marvel Disney Plus shows, and the one uh, producer Jim Viscardi has been most excited about. And it's been a big question of who would be playing Mark Spector, Moon Knight, in the MCU. We've heard all kinds of names, from Keanu Reeves being a long-rumored one to... Uh, Dude from Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor being one of the people who fans were thinking could be a good, you know, economic choice for an actor. But Marvel has kind of surprised everybody and gone bigger, not necessarily bigger than Keanu Reeves, but definitely bigger than just a modest TV actor. They've selected Oscar Isaac, the star of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, uh, Poe Dameron, and of course, X-Men Apocalypse who played that unfortunate version of Apocalypse, will be getting a second chance at Marvel movie glory by, or Marvel TV show and movie glory by playing Mark Spector, Moon Knight. Um, so far, you know, obviously this is not a casting. While it was unexpected, it, it is not really upsetting anybody that I've seen. Uh, people tend, Oscar Isaac is a very much fan approved actor. Yeah. And so people are kind of looking forward to his take yeah. on Mark Spector, Moon Knight. Especially since he, this will be fun to see him kind of take on the different personas of Mark Spector Moon Knight and deal with the kind of mental instability of the character, which is like, again, we need a good, fun kind of character actor for that. And Oscar Isaac is very much that. Other, other than like, so, so going with the whole, you know, split personality thing, other than like James McAvoy, there's not someone else that like I really see out there that like, as soon as you mentioned their name, like they can handle that. They can handle the multiple sides of this. And like Isaac is perfect. Like I love, I love that casting. Um, I was one of the people who was not on the Keanu Reeves train <laughs> for, for Mark Spector. I think this is a really, I mean, Isaac's a really thoughtful actor, um, especially in like, I mean, not some of his other films outside of like the Star Wars universe. Uh, and I imagine he signed up for this probably for some of the reasons he signed up for Apocalypse. They were like, hey, you're going to play a really like interesting villain that's like 
uh, you get to like work with like real character stuff. And then he got apocalypse. <laughs> apocalypse we saw him in that. So like this will be his chance to like really dive into some of the material if they go as far with it as the material actually allows. So I'm yeah. excited. For and he's got that good kind of racial ambiguity thing going for him too, because Mark Spector is an interesting character. I mean, he's a rabbi's son who becomes a mercenary and gets selected by an Egyptian God. Those are not exactly like soft button topics in today's no. world. Um, so that kind of identity and who plays that could have been a potential dumpster fire. But uh, this is a very safe bet for the reason Oscar Isaac is always a safe bet because is he, isn't he, you don't really know. So that book gets dark sometimes. Yeah. And so, and so oh, man, yeah, I want to read it. We'll see. So, yes. Oh, by the way, and this brought up a thing, because the only negative I saw was like, some ridiculous stuff I'm not even going to touch on. That was the only of like a few negative tweets that I saw about this casting. But the thing was that we did hear from comic book nation about wanting a, like a pull list essentially for like the best books to read of Moon Knight. So I will be pulling that together and we will yes. be having that as part of the show at some point. Also, please check out for the love of Lord because he's very sad. He couldn't be here. Please check out Jim Biscardi's Instagram story. If it's you want so a rundown it is on Moon Knight. Extensive. I mean, it, honestly, when prepping for the podcast, oh I actually watched his story because <laughs> I felt like, like I was hundred frames or whatever. I, I don't know. So what much information. His collection is crazy. It's awesome. It's, it's really yeah. good to know that the people behind this site are actual like comic book collectors, fans, supporters. Like it's it's just good, you know. Well, I'm sure I'm not sure we'd be able to uh, stay ahead of the competition if we didn't actually <laughs> know what we were talking about. Uh, but uh, there are those sites out there. I'm sure you can find them. Um, all right, so Marvel's Moon Knight, and so this is great because Oscar Isaac won't just be doing this kind of Disney plus series. This will also open up into future MCU movie roles, something Kevin Feige has already teased. So it'll be interesting to kind of see him on screen with these other people, right. Who are left over in the MCU. While we won't get to see Isaac and like Robert Downey Jr. We will get to kind of see him hang out with people like, you know, potentially like Paul Rudd or Mark Ruffalo and, and stuff like that. I can't wait for the Dr. Yeah. Strange meeting. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. fun. Doctor hey. Strange is a great one. Like, yeah, there's just a lot of... Oh, I almost said Black Panther. That was sad. All right. Aww. Anyway, so there is, like, yeah, a lot of potentially fun things to do with this character. And I hope we get to see him do the Mr. Knight stuff, just because if you've never seen the end of uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Oscar Isaac has a wonderful so cameo good. in that movie where he's uh, Spider-Man 2099. And for this brief period, they do this kind of awesome thing where I hope the Moon Knight series has the same kind of turn for him where... He's like really serious and Batman-y in this voiceover in the beginning before it cuts to the scene of him just doing this outright, just stupid comedic riff on the old Spider-Man pointing meme from the old cartoon. Um, but it's really good. And like, yeah, he just has that kind of growling intensity when he wants to, like when he's doing like the superhero voice and stuff. So I would just like to see him be weird and be like in a Mr. Knight mask, like walking around a crime scene with a bunch of regular cops talking to himself and, kind of doing that and like i said one of my favorite things about star wars is the sequel trilogy of nothing else is just the kind of offbeat riffing of poe dameron like right from the opening scene of force awakens where he's like do you talk or do i talk i don't know how this works like you know, <laughs> right yeah so this is all gonna be great stuff so yeah i'm not mad at this at all and i hope they go with some of the warren ellis kind of weird moon knight stuff i've already said that and kind of do jump around in time and mentality for this character and kind of really make it crazy and confused like irregular to reflect his mental state and all that stuff but that's just me all right moving right along from marvel over to dc let's talk about titans titan season three is coming up and it's going to be exciting we got some big things happening the biggest being we'll actually get to see it because it's on hbo max so, <laughs> yeah, well most of us sorry most of us will get to see it. oh no yeah um, that's your subject yeah well one step at a time it's, it's not <laughs> it's off dc universe and now we get uh we'll get a chance to see it but uh, Kieran Walters, who played Jason Todd, uh, a really excellent adaptation of Jason Todd in the first two seasons of Titans, is going to be taking that story arc where Jason Todd becomes Red Hood in the third season of Titans. And HBO Max revealed the first look official images of Kieran Walters as Red Hood. And I have to say, it looks pretty badass in my opinion. 
Um, only thing is the mask is a little oversized because I don't know if you've seen Kieran Walters, but yeah, that kid has a big head, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I love that kid, but he's got a, yeah, he like, got a big, I mean, he's like, big what's, grill. That, what's that like Dick Tracy villain? Like with the anvil head, like he's got that kind of deal. Like, or like uh, a Thanos yeah. jawline. Yeah. So the mask is, I mean, it looks like a big mask on like a, a tiny I respect the Dick Tracy reference. I respect yeah, but, it. But uh, he's going to be, I mean, it, it looks pretty intimidating for the Titans world. And it, I mean, I'm joking about Karen Walters, but it looks pretty badass with him with the guns out. I mean, the, the kind of concept art of it looks pretty good and i imagine this is going to be his scenes as robin were kind of dark and badass like when he beat down all the cops and stuff so i'm kind of looking forward to this and i'm looking forward to titan season three in general all right uh what yeah. do you guys think no, red hood, I, I, mean, I love it i mean everybody thinks red, red hood? hood yeah red hood thinks serious we're gonna be talking a lot about red hood tonight, right so. yeah jason jason todd needed a win this week so i'm glad the costume turned out well but like he's popping up right so he's popping up in titans he's popping up in the new gotham knights game he's uh taking a bigger role in the comics not just from like three jokers but also like in other series like man it's just the year and he's getting that animated film right with the with like the phone uh, in choose thing. Your, yeah, the choose yeah. adventure. Like he, oh, is, yeah. he is like popular. And like every time something comes out with like Jason Todd in it on social, like everyone goes nuts for Jason Todd. Like who knew? Who knew? The characters come oh. a long way. Any yeah. character can be redeemed. This should show. Like typeface, 10 years from now, typeface is going to be a great character. Who knows? With resurrection comes redemption. <laughs> tight face. Uh, yeah, no, but uh, yeah. So, that's like awesome. I said, Titans thing. We're getting Batgirl in addition to uh, Red Hood, so that's going to be pretty exciting. And I, I like this world of Titans, and I'm I'm kind of happy to see it expand. And I hope people get to enjoy it much more bigger platform on HBO Max. Like I said, so nothing to be mad out here either. Man, it's hard to do this show today. There's not a lot to be mad at. I'm positive. Uh, yeah, it really yeah. is. Feels like it's our for positivity me. Chain, uh, train. Javicia Leslie, who stepped in to be the uh, new Batgirl, who will be the, char- new, the new invented character, Ryan Wilder, made her debut in her uh, Batwoman, co- I'm sorry, did I say Batgirl? Batwoman, in her Batwoman costume. And uh, yeah, I mean, nothing bad to say about she this either. awesome. She looks like the Batwoman costume with uh, a different sort of hair, with kind of natural, more curly, ethnic looking hair. I love uh, the red. Yeah, like, with red highlights in it. Through. That's a nice oh, touch. Man. Although, let's be honest. Come on, comic book people. What female crime fighter is really going to stop and put those red highlights in every time? She's <laughs> like, let's stop with some of the nonsense. That's kind of almost up there. Depends, and, man. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to get too racial about this, but, you know, black and Latino women, I don't see them stopping every single time to fight. <laughs> like, let me get well, these red why, highlights in. I mean, that's why it kind of made sense before when, like, you know, it's like her hair is like really red, but it turns out to be a wig, right? Yeah. Like it's part of the part cow. of the costume. Yeah. yeah so right. like here, it's like, oh, okay. Like they're yeah, I agree. Like who's gonna, you know, like if if Sting were a su- a real superhero, it's not gonna put the face paint on every time he goes out. Right? Like it's it's <laughs> yeah. just not practical. Do we have any like images of her out of the cow? Because maybe she just has those highlights all the time. You know, and the cow is just part of it, and or maybe honest, it's just a mask. Checked. Yeah, I haven't checked too yeah. deeply. I mean, Hopefully. you could be absolutely right. Um, I hope that's a thing. Although that's not a really good secret identity, if you right, because right. that's, that's kind of a very bad memorable. Way. Yeah, if, <laughs> yes, who is right. that bad one? She has. She goes to the same highlight person as you. Like I get um, it if you're like bleaching your yeah. tips in the '90s because like everyone had. That, wait, like, wait, 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 wait! You said okay. Wait, say that one more time. Bleaching like your tips, Kofi. Thank you. I'm I'm I helping said you it out. Right? No, I, I know. Said it right, the first. You, you said, said it. it right. I think I know you said it right, but I think you said it very fast, faster I than did you think. Say it fast. Yeah. I so did I'm just fast. making sure we stop. And by the way, Kofi had me double checking, like how to say the direct name for Power Rangers after the time for like 10 minutes. I was like Googling 10 minutes. Like, did I say it wrong? Did I say it wrong? Oh, I didn't call you out. I was making a joke. After, just, after all the whole like dizzle, fucked up. Dizzle, dizzle thing. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so there we go. We've seen our photo of the new Batgirl. She looks good too. Or Batman. Love the cape. Girl too, Cape's so we're, uh, sick. Yeah. Got a little ombre effect. Mm. Not mad at that. All right, moving right along from DC to gaming. Uh, Matt and Connor, you guys were all psyched about this. this yeah. Me separately. Yes, we are. Without Assassin's Creed is getting a Netflix series. So uh, there you go. 
Take yeah, no, uh, Assassin's Creed is going to have a Netflix series that is done by, let's see, Jason Altman and Danielle Krennic uh, will be producing, will be executive producing uh, the series. There was nothing really revealed but a logo, which was a sick logo, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like them essentially like kind of saying the same PR stuff of like, you know, we've celebrated this franchise 10 years, blah, 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 blah. We hope to do all this stuff. But I was actually surprised that, like, I don't know about if you felt this way, Connor. I was actually surprised about, like, how many people were jazzed, even though the movie kept coming up, like, in social a lot. Like, people were still, like, really jazzed to see this in TV form because right. everyone really felt like TV was a better medium than movie. Well, yeah. actually, I think that it being a series is the better medium for it because... The movie failed a dozen different ways, but one of the ways that it really stumbled was it thought it needed to keep the uh, way in the past assassin storyline and the Desmond Miles in the lab storyline going at the same time. And unfortunately, even the first game wasn't able to make that very interesting. A lot of people will cite Assassin's Creed 2 is when the series really took off in terms of quality, both from a narrative and gameplay standpoint. I think the series is going is the perfect form for this to take because you have so many different assassins from different time periods in different parts of the world. And if you tried to cram more than one or even just one's entire story into one season, you're going to get a really cramped movie. You could not yeah. tell Ezio Adatore's entire story in one movie. They needed three games to do it. Yeah. They needed one and a half games well, to do it half. with... Yeah, because they three they split with Alfair. <laughs> yeah, but, but here, but what's fun with this now is you could tell all of Ezio's story and then not even touch Altair till the third season if you wanted to. But you don't even need to because that game sucks. The first one it was not good. I didn't like the first one at all. Second one, I, I Brotherhood would... is the bet to me still. Aside from Odyssey, thank still you. The no best one, game in the series. nobody gives Brotherhood the credit it deserves. It was awesome. a ref, it was a refined version of two. Everybody points to two as the better one. No, nah, it's Brotherhood. It's better Brotherhood. villain, better storyline, better city to work in. It's awesome. But so, and then you can have even more fun because then we can jump to Connor Kenway and and, and Edward Kenway as a pirate. Well, maybe not Connor, but Edward pirate <laughs> pirate season. We got a pirate. You guys are getting so deep in this. Here's the thing. So before we move about this, okay, a lot of people, Kobe, just because you don't. Now a lot of people care about Assassin's Creed. No, 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 no. Assassin's Creed is not yet a proven like mainstream. You said this about Witcher. About and you were wrong. No. I wasn't. Richard <laughs> proved itself right. It wasn't proven before that. There are Assassin's Creed is a million dollar, like, is a huge franchise. Okay, as a video game, yes, not and? As all, 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 all around entertainment IP. Okay, I'm, it's going to be very interesting to see if this you are correct can yeah. succeed where the movie failed, not just because of taking things like the Animus, but just the kind of circular nature of the game and trying to translate that into an actual kind of compelling storyline. Yes. Yeah. But you're shortchanging hard. the game. I'm, I'm not. I, I, yes, you I haven't said anything bad about the game. You're, but you're yeah, short. I can. The, now, if I'm going to get the crap for it, let's just get it out there. Who's the game, who's the game, but, but I'm just going to say, now I'm going to say it because I wasn't bashing the games, but now I am. I didn't say you were bashing. I, I said, said you were shortchanging it. I yes, you're shortchanging so. the I franchise. Think, I mean, the franchise success speaks for itself. The numbers I speak for itself. think so. But I don't think it's personally, I don't think Assassin's Creed has ever been that good. I think it's a circular kind of boring game, which is why I'm but naturally that's fine. worried about a narrative. Kof, that, about but that, that's, that's fine. Fair. But we're talking about two separate things. Your opinion on the game itself is totally fine. I mean, I get a lot of people don't like it, yeah, yeah. but a lot of people do. To shortchange its relevance is what I was saying. There is a huge population of people that play these games year in and year out and it has the sales to prove it the movie didn't do anything of course it was a bomb but what other franchises have we seen movies be bombs of and we still don't shortchange World their relevance <laughs> there are tons so don't so I, I think they're two separate things i'm not well, questioning let me your just ask, guys, let me guys. ask this question because this is before my, my whole thing was in reference to my potential of is this like a mainstream going does this have already established the backings of a mainstream larger entertainment hit um, I doubt that. You, I mean, you bring up The Witcher as a good comparison because unless I'm wrong and I don't know all the ins and outs about Assassin's Creed, The Witcher had already kind of already proven itself as being multi-platform successful, correct? 
Like it right. was it, from it, a book yeah, yeah, game. Yes. And, so and it the, had the, made those jumps from two very distinct different audiences and it could prove branding power that, that was, you know, over the gap of different media platforms. Like it did, it, it made itself a success in books and it made itself a success in games before coming to TV. But there was that kind of evidence that the IP itself had this kind of larger, possibly multimedia appeal into it. I, unless I'm missing something about the Assassin's Creed franchise, it's still just a popular thing within the niche kind of community of gaming, right? Well, that's the difference. You're correct. As okay. in it is still a, it is still, yeah, it hasn't had success in a TV show. It hasn't, I mean, it's had novels, but like they've been adaptations and things like that, but it's not a multimedia conglomerate yet. Yeah, that's all I'm time, saying. That is that the only statement mean... I'm saying. I'm not bashing a game audience. I know how popular that is. All I'm saying is, my well, only word, I think this is a niche. What, all right, what I'm Matt. saying is I don't view the gaming audience as niche and small. I think that's I'm, a difference of opinion. Yeah, I'm only viewing that as in, in comparison. Okay, let's word this more carefully. In comparison to what we're talking about now, which is the, the platform of mainstream TV, right? That's what we're talking about now. Um, this is where we're going with the franchise. So what I'm kind of questioning is in terms of like a, games of, a Game of Thrones or what now The Witcher is, yeah, gaming is comparatively, like, I mean, kind of a niche thing compared to mainstream viewership. And so I'm just wondering, will this have the appeal to break out? I mean, it perfectly well can. It's just nothing inherently in the games that make me say, like, yes, I, I would see this on TV and, and see this is going to be an instant hit on, like, a Game of Thrones or Witcher level. That's and, all, Kofi, that's the, the, reason that we're, the reason we're excited for this series is because you're talking about something being a breakout. I think this is the perfect structure of storytelling for this kind of story to break out because these stories are long. Because trying to fit them into a 90-minute to two-hour movie yep. just isn't going to work. No way. You're going to have to cut out a lot or add a lot or completely start from scratch, which was one of the many mistakes to made with the movie. I think right. this can fit keeping it with a seasonal structure like this in a series, you can fit in a lot of what works about the video games story and take out some of the stuff that you don't like, like the modern day story, because yeah, nobody has that. ever liked that. Right. That's why we're excited. All right. I mean, I hope you're right. I think this is going to be kind of a the do or die moment for the Assassin's Creed as a larger IP. Too. Because, yeah. All right. But uh, we got another game. I'm hopeful. Thing. Right? Uh, Let's be hopeful. <laughs> well, this uh, one Cyberpunk will be quick. 2070. Yeah, twice, <laughs> Cyberpunk 2070, uh, 2077 uh, is delayed again. Wow. Yeah. So. They're sending out all these packages to like influencers to hype people up. And it's like, can't you just wait until you get the date locked? Only though 21 days. So it comes out That's December good. 10th. Yeah. It's not as bad. But is this, what is this, the third or fourth? Is it the third or fourth delay? The third. It's the third, it's yeah. Third, it's, yeah. It's just like, I will be, this, I mean, this is not like, you know, Last Guardian level or anything like that, because this is actually going to come out. We've seen stuff from it. But like, <laughs> it is funny that like, literally, yeah, we, people were already getting, like, about to get review codes. And it was yeah. like, oh, yeah, nope, nope. Uh, we're, we're pushing it back. So hopefully it comes out when it's supposed to this time. It'll be perfect for Christmas. Are they there saying why, like what the holdup is this time? They specifically said that the having to ship it to not just multiple platforms, but multiple generations is what kind of held oh. it up because they're, they're trying to hit all of them. And okay. so because everything's kind of releasing at the same time, plus they're trying to get so many platforms and that includes, right? Like Stadia and like all these other right. random ones. So yeah, like it was just that. Okay. Said that it was just becoming too whatever. So that's hence also so the why game it's only 21 is done. Days. The game is done. I feel okay. like they're just trying to do some <laughs> So what you're saying is if you wanted to play this game, blame Stadia. They're the reason. <laughs> blame PS5 and, and Xbox Series X, probably. I mean, that was Gosh. probably the big ones. I don't think they're sweating it and delaying things for Stadia. Of course they All right. So hopefully we'll get Cyberpunk 2077 by the end of this year. Uh, yeah, that'd be a nice end to 2020 to at least get that. All right, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to deep dive into the end of Batman and the Three Jokers, review Borat 2, talk about WWE, Hell in a Cell, new comics, and the little tidbits we got to share in our rundown. So stay tuned for all of that. All right. 
Batman, Three Jokers. So we've been following this series uh, since it came out. This has been one of the more kind of controversial things that uh, DC Comics has released, at least this year. But it's been kind of controversial since we heard about it. Uh, the basic premise was this is supposed to be a major cleanup of Batman continuity and Joker continuity that Jeff Johns was going to kind of embark on. And it, it's been apparent, this was only three books, and we were kind of really wondering how they were going to stick this landing because the first book kind of established the premise. There are these three Jokers that have been running around DC continuity, um, and they're based on kind of different eras and, and versions of the Joker that have become popular, taken prominence, and have been kind of found to be in continuity at the same time. And so the mystery was, which one is the real one? And what, why have these three Jokers kind of united? And, and where have they come from? Like, is this some, you know, alt-universe colliding stuff? Like, what's <laughs> going on here? So in Batman 3 Jokers 3, we finally get the conclusion of this mystery, plus a few kind of additional twists at the end. And we kind of get to the purpose of what this series is really about. So we're going to talk about Batman 3 Jokers 3 and the whole series in full spoilers. So this is going to be a full spoiler discussion of Three Jokers. If you want to hear this or preserve the secrets, do not listen right now. Come back after you read it and fast forward for like about five minutes or so because we are going to, yeah, like I said, be talking about all of this. All right. So let's just start at the top of some of the big things. So the mystery of the three Jokers, the first thing is, who is the real Joker? There are three. There is the criminal who was kind of the classic Joker, who was just kind of a, a, a crook who had plans and Batman tried to stop. There was the comedian or the criminal who was the kind of guy who became more of the sadistic Joker, the one who beat Jason Todd to, you know, to death and did all of that. And then you had the comedian, which is the one that was kind of spun out of the Alan Moore killing joke uh, origin story of the Joker being a failed comedian and shooting Barbara Gordon, paralyzing her and doing all of that. So the question was, which one of these three is the real one? And we got an answer. Uh, and the definitive answer is that the comedian is the real Joker. The Alan Moore killing joke Joker was the real one. And he created these other two using, you know, the Joker die kind of chemical formula that we had seen throughout the series to, to kind of work with him and really mess with Batman and, and create the situation where in a twist, this is a story of the Joker. And there's, there's a lot of parallels. I'll say that right off the bat that because I'm going to compare them a lot between three Jokers and Joker war. Um, it's, I feel like there was almost like an eternal war DC comics because these stories are very similar in so many ways about basically thematically like what they're trying even to have do. the same location. Yeah. They, even the <laughs> ending has the same exact kind of Joker plan where he wow. takes Batman back to the Monarch theater where his parents died after watching Zorro and making him relive some nightmarish version of that um, with like, you know, crazy haunting Joker things all around. <laughs> so um, zombies all around. So yeah. But this, I think, does a clearer job of its thematics than Joker War ever did in that it does make a clever point that in this story, in the mechanics of what happens in the end, it involves Joe Chill, the guy who mm -hmm. killed the Waynes in the early continuity stories of Batman. Um, it, yeah, in one of the earliest you know, versions of Batman's continuity, Joe Chill was the common criminal who killed the Waynes and was subsequently locked up. And uh, Batman has to save him from Joker trying to transform him in, into a new Joker. And in doing so, he basically, having saved the man who killed his parents, he reconciles as, with Joe Chill, both as Batman and then later as Bruce Wayne, formerly in a hospital where Joe Chill is dying and, and you know, actually apologizes. And he finds out that Joe Chill had, like, reformed in prison and became this other kind of person and really just, you know, knew that he was wrong for what he had did out of desperation and poverty and all this stuff. And so Joker actually heals Batman in a very significant way for the sole purpose so that he can be the only trauma in, in Batman's life because he's jealous that Batman has this other trauma because Joker knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne, which is the big thing that he and Bruce have and probably the best scene in this whole series, which is them riding in the back of a police van together after he arrests the mm -hmm. comedian and yeah. they have this long conversation. Um, 
And so, yeah, Joker basically reveals he knows that Batman has always been Bruce Wayne and he never is going to tell because he doesn't want the game to end. And that this whole three Jokers thing was just to make him appreciate his Joker and not and get over the Joe chill thing. So there's nothing else kind of traumatizing him. So Joker can be the mass, like the big pain in his life. But the final twist on the story is that Batman, of course, is Batman. And he even says, I'm Batman. I love that. I know how that sounds, but I'm going to say it like I'm Batman. And it turns out that Batman has had the upper hand on this Joker situation the entire time. He's known, A, that the comedian is the real Joker the entire time since they first faced each other. And he knows who the comedian really is, like who his real, what his real name is. But Batman similarly will never reveal that but not for the reasons the Joker. And this is your final spoiler for uh, Batman three Jokers because the final scene reveals that he, Jeff Johns, and this is going to be one of the most, I think contentious things in DC comics fandom, because what ba- Jeff Johns taking basically now another ax to Alan Moore's continuity after doomsday clock and kind of now going for the killing joke as well, because he takes Alan Moore's story from the killing joke for, jo- for Joker, the origin story. And he, under- he, he either flips it, twisted, or undermines it, depending on how you look at it, to reveal that Joker's wife, who supposedly died in an electrical fire, testing a baby bottle heater for their, up from their, the baby she was pregnant with, didn't really die. She saw him becoming more crazy and turning to criminal activities. And so with the help of the Gotham PD, they kind of did a witness protection on her and got her out of there with her and her baby before she could be hurt. Um, and she's been secretly living in Alaska and raising Joker's son this whole time. And Bruce Wayne knows where they are and kind of routinely checks in on them. So. I... Joker. Sorry, that was my head exploding. Love that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, I think um, people, while people will be debating this, I think, I think I even wrote this in the spin out about how this affects Joker's origin, which is that if there is one thing, because both Batman, uh, both Joker War and Three Jokers kind of propose this market in themselves as these kind of definitive endings to stories, but they really are just, just kind of reboots in a sense of the Batman-Joker relationship and, and what it means and all that. But um, this, if nothing else, accomplishes the, the task of at least adding new intrigue to that rivalry because now we know that Batman and Joker both know who each other are. We know they both have families. And that instantly just kind of deepens the potential tension, um, kind of thrill and danger of their relationship, uh, especially with Joker. If he ever finds out yeah. that he has his wife and his actual kid are still alive, and oh you know Batman has known all this, and yeah. you know, oh, my oh my gosh, oh my gosh, awesome! And what can happen to that, that poor kid? Yeah, the poor kid who. Well, uh, I can't wait for it, but I'm also going to be like heartbroken if like something happens situation. to them because they did such a good job in a very short amount of time because that is only revealed in like the yeah, final the few pages. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that that much is revealed and they get you to care that much about like their situation like that last shot of them just like eating dinner like together at their house like so peaceful like oh uh. matt, matt i i got i got one big problem with that last little that last Uh-oh. little piece you're talking what? about what so in one breath this book says that hey the joker's origin doesn't really matter it doesn't, it, it's not as important as people think it is. People are overthinking it. He has that speech to Batman where he goes, it doesn't matter what my real name is. What matters is that we hate each other and that we're going to fight each other forever. And that he's right in that sense. I think well, uh, what we I mean, tend to do a lot is people. careful because that's the Joker saying that. That's not the. Batman says it too. He says it didn't matter. Batman, what the no, Batman said. says it to uh, Alfred. Alfred. And then yeah. he, says it, he says that he wouldn't, like he, of course he wouldn't know to everybody else acts except for that very last part is kept in but the dark. I mean, only the, keeps that the, secret. So to Batman, that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't here, matter to Batman. It's but just, here's the thing. This, this, this book did not come out in a vacuum. People mm-hmm. were running to this book thinking, oh, we're finally going to get some big revelation about the backstory of the Joker. Mm-hmm. And the book kind of turns it around and says, 
actually, it doesn't really matter what his backstory is. What matters is he's an interesting character, and we tend to overthink it when we try to pin him into this is a specific origin that he has. Here's the problem with that. On the, in the same, almost on the same page, in opposite panels, they say that, and then they also say, no, this is his definitive background story because we're saying that the Alan Moore origin story is the legitimate one, even though the Alan Moore story turns around and goes, hey, sometimes I think my backstory was this, sometimes it's this. When it comes well, to origin stories, I like to think of multiple choice. Yeah, but the book was, doesn't actually come out and say that. It, it doesn't actually, it alludes to certain so, parts cuts, of Alan Moore. Or his thing. Yeah, two right. certain panels. Right, but and then you see that, the wife and kid. Yeah, but Alan Moore's also origin on the book wasn't supposed to be definitive. It was supposed right. to be, it was a one-off, and the, then people the, sort of took it to mean that. This book goes back this and book forth. Try, as, this book tries to make it sound like that is the definitive one. No, by, Jeff Johns, by showing her, showing the kid, that yeah. made that look like, no, this is the definitive one. No, he was the, the comedian. Was was, yes, yeah. but as Jeff Johns does with is all of one. his other books, though, he cherry picks pieces of all the different things. I mean, it's seen earlier too with like the whole like I want to remake another Joker like all of that stuff that's been planted before and he just yep. like takes it all puts it in a pot picks out what things he wants so like yes there are parts of that Alan Moore story that like right. he's the comedian that is like the, okay that's firm like the family thing is firm but it also doesn't come out and say like that's bible that's what those other lines of like you know I, sorry, I don't need I, to have a it doesn't, it doesn't come out and say, like, this is the definitive origin. Here are all the pieces. It's still pretty vague on certain things. It just says this one family aspect is for real and legit. But it isn't by determining that family aspect prove that that Joker is directly connected to that Alan Moore story? You it's, don't overthink this because technically that's what, in Batman... That's what the book is trying to say. Oh, I, I know, but I think, you're, I think you're overreading this. Like, because technically it's always been a murky continuity because right. in continuity, like Batgirl and Jason Todd are not supposed to be injured in the same continuity. No. Like, and also, can I just make a quick point? The entire Jason Todd subplot in this book was trash. Hot garbage. <laughs> I didn't think the stuff with him and Joker was trash. I thought the no, stuff no, with him and Batman. Him with Barbara. Trash. Yeah, that, that was all that, trash. I don't know why that was in there. I that's think, all that third issue is for him. But I think they pull it together by having those three be the three who have to go into the theater because they are the most that was a cool moment by Joker and that whole thing. So, like, I get why I didn't think this was the best Red Hood story, but he definitely was necessary to what this story was about because of the legacy of Joker with all of them. And John's Um, just stole lines from Under the Red Hood as, as for some of the dramatic beats in this one. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the Bruce conflict with Jason is is always familiar and kind of it's they already done the best scene with that at the end of Under the Red Hood. I don't know if you're ever going to get something better than that, but I just want to be careful because I think that what the book does is in everything with the Joker, there's always jokes writers like to put into the Joker book is people saying that their favorite I think one of the jokes of this book is people it's people's opinion that Alan like this is an opinion piece like what that monologue said to me and the way I read it was that like, this is the Joker that people love now. It's the one that you don't have to explain and they love this, the no origin, chaos, force of nature thing. Yeah. But at the very end, he goes, but here is a little intrigue organ and everybody's like, ooh, like, you know. Dangling the carrot. Yeah, and everybody then, that refutes that its own idea of the fandom because Obviously, Jeff Johns does not agree with that idea because if he did, then the final panel of this book wouldn't be a teasing origin twist. It would, yeah. It's kind of him saying that's BS. Like you, you actually do like stories. Yeah, you'll want a story that has <laughs> some kind of deeper level to it and some kind of connections and all that. Now, now whether you agree with that or not is, is up to every individual reader. But yeah, but I, I think but I agree. Yeah, that. the book is kind of that monologue from the Joker is just. Anything the Joker says in that grandstanding moment, you got to take with a graining salt. Like that's what Joker sees. Like he thinks that that's the coolest thing about him. He's undefined and all this. And Batman lets him believe that. (laughs) It has let him believe that for many years. Smart. Because (laughs) the alternative is is more terrible. I was going to say, like being the Joker fan, being the hardcore Joker fan that you are, Janelle. Yay! What did you feel about this? Because well, you I, are of all of us, you are the biggest right. Joker fan. Well, it's yeah, like, you'll even accept Leto. 
Yeah. Oh God, I'm so pumped. Oh man, I'm so sad I wasn't on that podcast with you guys. Um, but you know, I I understand that we have so many amazing avid readers who I look up to so much, and I'm trying to expand my knowledge of comic books all the time. So I know that my perspective is a little different. I am the person that's not going to overthink storylines from other comics because I don't have that context. So um, reading this was honestly an awesome ride for me, the whole thing. Um, You're coming from someone who has not read Batwoman. I don't know her origin story other than what obviously like I've picked up and I understand to know, but I haven't read it all the way through. I haven't read um, Red Hoods all the way through. So I, for me, I made a lot of um, kind of guesses, you know, to understand like the relationship between certain characters to one another. And I, I think that they did, I think he did a great job for people if they want to just pick it up, having not really much knowledge of it previously. Now this is probably going to change because the more you have me reading things, I am probably going to pull like a card <laughs> and be like, what in this other one? Yeah, Janelle, but, it, cause, because only because it references the previous book so much, I really want to know what your opinion is after you read Killing. Jeff. I'm totally down to like, um, I'm, I'm all about it. And I know to pull it back the full, the Joker fandom and all of that fun stuff. Um, I truly believe that if the only payoff was the, you know, dialogue between Batman and Joker where he's saying, you know, you, I know your identity. I know who you are. And I did this so that, you know, I would be your biggest frustration in life. That wouldn't have been enough for me to really uh, make me excited about the ending of this series. So without that bomb (laughs) at the end with the family, I would have felt kind of gypped. Honestly, I would have been yeah. like, what? And so as a big, huge Joker fan, I'm like, oh my God. Like, I just like, it, it sold it for me. I was so pumped to even just see like the black and white images of him with her. And I just, I was pumped. And so for me, loved it, thought it was great. And I had to have that ending because yeah, without that, I would have felt gypped. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I also just, by the way, way to like give Joe chill like a complete, like that character has been a one panel character Mm -hmm. and a one shot character for how long? It's like, you see the gun. And when like he's referenced as the killer, you see the gun and you see the pearls and like, it's just a shadowy figure running off. Like that's the amount of character development that that character has had over the years. I I cannot lie. That was really well done. Yeah, Yeah. that was really good. And uh, I I loved, I would say, I agree with Kofi. I, the middle, the second book, I didn't need it all. Okay. And the first half of the first issue, uh, issue I loved. Uh, and then like the second half kind of starts to go a little weird. So really, one? yeah, it's like yeah. the second half. Of it. So like <laughs> the first half of the first issue and this whole third issue, I feel like you could put them together and make it one long issue. And I would have adored it. I would have come out like loving this for the most part, as opposed to like kind of bloating it out. Like some of the stuff in between was just not important in the scheme of things. And yeah. You know, you could have really forgettable. Yeah, it's except like for what, the, yeah. except for the pool of, of Joker buzz. Right. Yeah. I always like call the them walkers, scene. Joker walkers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so if you had put that all into like one like one shot and just made it really big, I think it would have benefited from that. Yeah, I also thought there was going to be more with them that they did to Red Hood when they beat him unconscious and just left him there. I thought there was yeah. going to be like more to that, but apparently yeah. not. It's like, no, he's all right. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just a little bummed. He's a little pissed. That was it. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, but he's Jason, so he's always pissed. So he's always mad. But um, yeah, so if nothing else, like I said, this has been an interesting twist on just renewing interest in the Batman-Joker kind of rivalry. And now what they can do with the storylines that they kind of spin out this. I mean, if that's nothing else, this is what Jeff Johns is famous for. Taking kind of old dangling or stupid things and kind of rearranging them into more interesting things like Joe Chill. Um, So that's Batman Three Jokers. Check that out. I'm sure there'll be a big graphic novel out soon. You can pick up and and enjoy. It's probably enjoyable as one big read, like Matt was kind of indicating. We're going to move on to a quick review of uh, Borat 2, Borat's subsequent movie film. yeah, this is out now on Amazon Prime, and I'm sure you've heard about it by now. Now, this is an interesting kind of uh, crossroads because we try to keep things like apolitical and whatnot on the show because that's not really our jam on this show. There's plenty of political podcasts that are excellent to listen to. Um, but, of course, it's kind of hard to do that and talk about Borat at the same time, but I'm going to try. 
because I'm not here to influence anybody's political views or anything or get into that rabbit hole with you. I'm just talking about Borat as a kind of film, as a comedy film, and as a sequel to this, you know, very groundbreaking film that came out before. So if you're not familiar, Sasha Baron Cohen, of course, is a kind of comedic genius of taking and making these characters that provoke certain social uh, reactions from people. Uh, He started doing this with like the Ali G show and characters like Ali G who he would kind of use credentials to get interviews with high ranking people, intellectuals, politicians, and come out as this kind of European gangster rapper who would say all this kind of really crazy misogynist or, or just completely ignorant stuff and get real politicians to like get in conversations and agree with him. Um, Then he added to that show, two more characters who have since now jumped to film as well. All three of them have had their own kind of films which are, of course, Borat, uh, this guy from Kazakhstan, who was very much anti-Semitic and, and kind of uh, sexist and, and, you know, had this very kind of naive, idealistic view of America, but was really a vehicle for getting people to admit things like racism, anti-Semitism, sexism, stuff like that um, in his conversations. And, of course, Bruno, who is a uh, gay fashion reporter who, who got people to confront things about homosexuality and, and other things. Um, and so Borat was such a big success, like a major breakthrough success for Sasha Baron Cohen that when we heard this film was coming up, the first thing we talked about seeing like the trailer was how can you pull this off? Because the premise of, I mean, Borat's the whole thing of Sasha Baron Cohen's axes, they seemingly are like one-offs because once people know the characters, it's impossible to fool them again. Right. And, and that alone is maybe the best genius about Borat too is that he gets to do this twice, um, <laughs> showing maybe just a stunning lack of like a, a critical thinking progress in our country, but that the same character could come and fool people twice. And he doesn't, I mean, and he makes jokes about having to, I mean, there are scenes of him walking down the street in like Hollywood or other places where, or in the US where people recognize him and are chasing him. So he starts buying these elaborate, like crazy disguises, but he does hang out with real people outside of the disguises still as obviously Borat who don't know who, yeah, in the South, who don't know who he is and and bring you this crazy guy. I mean, one like this redneck guys bring him to their home. And let him, Which like, was very sweet. Yeah, it was very sweet. He's like, not advisable. I have nowhere to go for quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah, and not advisable, but very sweet. But um, yeah, <laughs> and how he can get people twice. And, and just this way oh, this God. man infiltrates, even just the what you would think were the most secure and oh, my people gosh. that would see him coming a mile away. I mean, he gets into the RNC and up to Mike Pence on the stage and he gets into a hotel room with Rudy Giuliani for this elaborate kind of, you know, prank they play on him that you've heard about, I'm sure. How? And, and how? how, exactly. And it's just like the way that he outwits people and makes these situations happen is gold. And the then fact has that the he does it again. To yeah, have and it? The right, like and the how he gets them it. to sign off that they can use that footage? Oh, my yeah. gosh. And the fact that he does it again is just absurd to begin with. But... um. The ultimate point of this one is a lot more focused on the sexism aspect of Borat and kind of played through his daughter, who's played by Maria Bakalova, who I think, is she a breakout actress in this? Is this like, no, she's been in a couple things, but um, yeah, this is her first big. Yeah, this is like her first huge picture. Huge picture. Um, And man, good for her is right. Like she really went for it in this, playing Borat's daughter. Uh, What's her name? Tutsa or forget her name in the Tutor. 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 Yeah. So (laughs) basically, (laughs) Borek goes back home to Kazakhstan and thinks he's going to be like a celebrity, but because of things, you know, he brought shame to Kazakhstan and things like that. So they he's kind of treated as a political prisoner, but he gets a chance to redeem the country and himself if he can go and give a gift to uh, Mike Pence. (laughs) in America, so he's going to go and give him his daughter, his only daughter, who he keeps. Which is so screwed up. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to touch on any of that. We're just going to tell you what happens oh in the God. film. Um, but, uh, <sighs> yeah. And, of course, it's this horribly exaggerated jokes about how, you know, the rights of women aren't, you know, how bad they are, in, in especially in some places, over, or starting overseas. But then a reflection of that, and, of course, in America, because you would think, oh, this could only happen in a crazy country like Kazakhstan. The girl could be like living outside in a cage and, you know, competing with a, with a cool girl who lives in a bigger cage like next to her. But 
you know, when we, it's, I think some of the movies, most shocking things aside, I think from the political stuff for me, the more shocking scenes were the, you know, the sexism gender scenes. Mm-hmm. Like when he goes and says like to a guy at a copy store, like I'm faxing this guy back and forth about like selling my daughter off to this person for like sex and stuff. Or like how about that. the man that like literally is like, oh yeah, she's worth this much. Like, yes. When his daughter's standing right next yes, to him. Yes, they go to a Southern ball and like, and he says like, Seven how times. much do you think my daughter's worth? And the guy without missing a beat just says, looks at her. I'm down and says this value number. And as they walk away, the camera pans on him. It's like a perfect scene, like out of the office almost. Like, yes. Because Sasha Baron Cohen leaves, but the camera stays on the guy. And his daughter is so, like, Upset. disgusted yeah. and, like, pissed. I mean, she she's calls like, him that out. Is, yeah, she's like, that's disgusting. Like, and, like, yeah. She drops and, an F-bomb on him. Yeah, it is just. Well, the dude who sells them the cage. Yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah. there's so many moments like, like that. Yeah, you can, how many do you think I can fit here? He's like, well, one, you know, we could <laughs> do this. And then he like helps him get a propane tape. Like never yeah. questions, never, never questions. questions. One thing that this guy's saying about locking a girl in a cage. <laughs> like it never questions. What the hell? Yes, never questions. Mm. Oh man. Like, yeah. And so that stuff was kind of the shocking, scarier stuff for me. Because the political stuff I felt almost was like, I mean, it's weird to say, but I mean, at this point, but it was like, yeah, it was like easy. It's like low hanging fruit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the Giuliani thing, which I'm not going to say except gross, but was like low hanging fruit. No matter what your view of it was gross, but like, yeah, the, the stuff about, I didn't expect some of the stuff about the sexism and things like that. And just, yeah. just the gender inequality and just, yeah. I mean, just the things that he's plainly setting up, giving people the chance to just say something normal and civilized and just to have them. And the facts guy, the, the facts guy is like, my favorite that guy is just complicit in everything this guy does yeah you're talking about the guy getting killed like this whole crazy story he never blinks an eye well, i do love i laughed out loud when when the first time he goes in there and he writes the message that's what do you want to say and he says sup <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why that made me like i laughed out loud. i don't know why i was just like that's that's funny yeah no that's so funny. it was very good um and yes the girl plays two does i mean you just stone she She's has incredible. real cojones like she just really going does. to that feminist dinner and then talking to them about like the whole story about from the from the little fairy tale book about anatomy that she has oh and all gosh. that stuff i can't I'm just telling that room full of women like let's all get exposed and play with ourselves together and later somebody's finally like let's get her an uber <laughs> yeah <laughs> because that's the thing right it's not like it's one thing if like everyone's in on the scene it's it's not that way in this in these movies. So it's just like no, that's real. That's like real people react. You know yeah, what I mean? Real like, awkward. That is real uh, awkwardness. You are. Jeez, man. Yeah, the one. Although every Borat scene. I mean, Borat one had the one where him and his uh, lawyer were running down the hall naked through that hotel, and uh, they top it in this one. I think with the southern dance with the southern bell oh, ball God. with a dance routine. No. Oh uh, yeah. I'll to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but like yeah we won't get any more gross than that but uh that one will stay with you for a long time oh, sure, because yeah they really freaked out a room full of people with that but um yeah it 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 was amazing like that he was able to kind of recapture that magic again um in even a more pointed serious way weirdly than the first borat which was like i said d- tackled serious subjects but it felt more silly and irreverent than this which feels more pointed and and serious um so yeah i gotta say i didn't think i would be able to enjoy it a second time i was really skeptical i would it feels like this is gonna feel old um but this was good and the costume i love that he's a costumist borat but the but the level of costumes he puts on top of that yeah, yeah. like the cowboy when he goes up and sings the song oh, like that song that he makes my up my gosh no wheeler i think we found your first hit oh, if you want to clean up <laughs> that honest to god i think that was the scene that messed me up the most because the fact that that's a real thing that's happening mm-hmm. like not him the grouping of people that are gathering for that the reason that they're gathering for and how much they literally buy into that one narrative. I'm just like, I, w- I was sick to my stomach, honestly. Yeah, yeah it's a pretty shocking expose about things that are really going on down in, in the... Well, you think we're in the South, but we're in, yeah. a, we're in a city, so... Yeah, we're in Nashville. 
Yeah. Uh, this is very much like, yeah, going on. Uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty surprising on some levels. And just, I think, I think what the most shocking thing for me of the whole film was, was just seeing him in the cabin with the two uh, redneck guys and just hearing them recite things they think are true. Oh my gosh. And it was just kind of like, okay. Um, but yeah, we're not going to get into that. Cause like, <laughs> uh, I can see our comment section starting to get up and I'm not speaking about all rednecks. There are plenty of wise redneck people. My family is from a creek freaking crater town in kentucky (laughs) the wisdom of weird country folk um but this was disturbing on some level so that's borat check that out it's on amazon prime it is free this was a surprising question that came up a lot but it's free so you can check that out all right guys why don't you give us a recap of wwe hell in a cell and matt will tell us about comics before we give you the quick rundown on our way out of here well, Matt, we're going to talk about Hell in a Cell. So I brought out my signed New Day poster because I need some power of positivity. You got me this, by the way. Thank you for that. <laughs> That's majestic. It's awesome. Um, we, it is. I, I love it. Um, so this was a good show. This had two excellent Hell in a Cell matches. The storytelling between Roman and Jay was spectacular, just like last time. Roman crying at the end. Real, co- pretending to come to some sort of realization that he is now a monster was just fantastic work. Uh, <laughs> Sasha and Bailey was every bit as good as I thought it would be in terms of the match. People are saying, is this better than TakeOver or not? Personally, I think the only thing that leans in TakeOver's favor is live crowd. There was no live crowd for this, so yeah. and all the, the reactions were panned. But five years from now, we might be saying the opposite. Who knows? Yeah. Then we get to the main event. Randy Orton won in what felt like a very slow match. Drew McIntyre's reign as WWE champion is over. Ooh. And Randy, <laughs> here's, here's the thing. From WrestleMania to SummerSlam, Randy Orton was the hottest heel in WWE. Maybe in, in all of wrestling, if you want to expand a little bit further. Everything he did was interesting. He brought back the punt. He brought back the legend killer. He had Ric Flair as his manager. Every match was this obviously calculated thing where he barely had to wrestle. Like, like you remember the Christian match where it's like, oh my God, we're getting an unsanctioned match. Christian's making a return. Low blow. Nope. Turns out it was a ruse. Like everything he did, you could tell there was a thought to it. And then he loses at SummerSlam. He loses at Payback in six minutes. He loses at Clash of Champions. Guy's lost three pay-per-views in a row and then decides to have a really slow Hell in a Cell match where two big buff guys have to climb up and down a 20-foot cage. Takes about 10 minutes to do that. I'm not happy about this. And Raw did not assuade me. It did not make me feel better about the situation. You didn't like the pen stabbing? Well, we don't even get that. We didn't even get on the show. They cut I that. Know, that was after. It's like, you're going to have him try to lose an eye and that, that's on the YouTube page? Like, what the hell? And then, and you'll, you'll probably have feelings about this, NXT will not be taking part in this year's Survivor Series. The thing that made Survivor Series last year probably the best show of the year, made the most exciting at least, it's gone. No reason. Even though they won. Help me out here, man. I'm, I'm struggling. Well, I can't help you out on the Warden thing because I thought that match was a turd. <laughs> that match was trash. Like, it was so... You know what that felt like? It uh, felt like a late 2000s Triple H main event. Yes. Where it's very slow-paced, and the finish entirely comes down to who counters whose finisher first. Yeah, it was very... It was boring Orton. Sorry, Jim. It was boring. <laughs> it was boring, Orton. And I love Drew. And I think Drew works when you have a compelling villain on the other side. And I will even give it to them that the first matchup of these two had that. I thought Orton was a little more like right. mean I mean, Orton. I thought that was good. And then we got to the second one, and it was like... Mwah. It was back to being hokey. And it's funny how the SummerSlam match was more violent than the one inside of the career-ending right? steel cage. Yeah, and then, like, half of it's outside the cell. I'm like, he just, like, opened the door. And I was like, what? okay, <laughs> what's the, I thought the whole point was supposed to be you were supposed to be inside here. And then, like, the whole thing about Drew climbing up the side was just, like, it was dare me. 
it was mm-hmm. like, I dare you. Like literally Orton climbs up, says nothing. And it's just like looking down on him. And, and we're just supposed to think like, why, what common sense person is going to go up to the top? And let me ask you this, the entirety of the time what they were up there, did you think one guy was getting thrown off or thrown through the roof? Yeah. No. Not for, I, did. Not I thought for they were going to do second. something. I thought they were going to do something. Not for one second. But, they, the, yeah. Ever since go. they made that cell 20 feet high, the only way you're jumping off is if Shane McMahon does it onto a crash pad. That, well, that's yeah. it. So, that's true. But, I mean, it would have it needed that. And then, like, Drew goes through it, whatever. It was, yeah, that was lame. But I will say – the first 75% of that show, pretty good. And I, Bailey, Sasha was a classic. Yeah. And I was, I got to say, as heartbroken as I was, that Otis was betrayed and does not have the briefcase, I did actually find it interesting. And I yeah. did think that pushes things. You just better not leave respect them. So, like, I am also bummed about the NXT thing. I will say I'm, it's kind of a weird thing because, like, I'm sort of torn because – while I'm bummed that they're not going to be a part of it because I agree they were the best part of it because of just all the original opportunities you have because you throw them in. Mm-hmm. I also am perfectly happy with like Vince not touching NXT <laughs> in any way, shape or form. I, I, and last time we had a crossover, we ended up like every time, almost every time that like they cross over with NXT, NXT suffers more, more than like, more than the normal amount like they they get saddled with feuds that like i feel like just put nxt in a dimmer light and always shine the light on the superstars as opposed to them winning the survivor series like that was that's why i shocked everybody's because that would never happen typically but i don't love that so i'm kind of happy to just like leave them alone see i'm with you on vince keeping his distance from them is great that that's always when the show benefits the problem is, is that Survivor Series gets pushed as this battle for brand supremacy. Whenever I write that in a story, I put quotes around it because they say it that much. It might as well be the tagline. And they always say, this is the one time of year where the two sides feud with each other. No, it's, it's really not. These guys jump back and forth between yeah. shows all the time. They're wrestling each other on a whim on opposite brands. But the split between Raw and SmackDown and NXT was always legitimate mm-hmm. because it was always thought of, oh, you get called up all that talk last year of NXT being the legitimate third brand, it's gone. It's kind of, it, it, it's where, where is that now? Even though they're on the exact same network as Monday night raw, mm-hmm. the, their, their supposed a show, even though it's really not, it's really not anymore. I mean, that, I, that's, but that speaks to like a lot of things about WWE. And then I know we got to wrap and move on, but like, I know, but I, it, that speaks to a lot of things about WWE, right? Like, Raw is supposed to be the main show. It's not. SmackDown is because it's all box. Like, there are so many of those things that, like, perceived, and it's not really that way. And, yeah, I mean, I agree. The, the whole third brand thing is kind of, for a minute there, it's all they were saying. And Triple H still says it in press conferences, to he be does. fair. Yeah. But no one else really says it. And not, I don't know why the reason is to not have them. I think it's detrimental to the pay-per-view because that's the, really the only reason I was interested was that you had that legitimate competition. No one cares about SmackDown versus Raw anymore. Braun Strowman just wanders the halls of who, whatever show is on and just appears. Like, I don't know. There's no real brand split, especially with that wild card rule crap that they tried to pull last time. Thankfully, that's right. gone. But, and to, yeah. Basically, Survivor Series, we got six matches announced already. My interest in them is pretty much already drained. It, it, it's not there. So that's where we're at, Kofi. Yeah. Wrestling. <laughs> okay. Well, Matt, why don't you give us the – well, let's go through a quick rundown, and then we'll end on new comics because we'll just take us out on that. Uh, just in our rundown real quick, these are just quick mentions from different genres that we don't have time to talk in full about, but we want to put you on to. Uh, there's a new trailer for the Bloomhouse movie Freaky, which, you know, I love a good horror movie concept, high concept from Bloomhouse. Uh if you liked Happy Death Day, this basically takes the idea of Freaky Friday and marries it to a slasher film with a teenage cool. high school cheerleader who wakes up in the body of a serial killer who's played by Vince Vaughn. Um, and the serial killer is, of course, now in her body masquerading as a teenage cheerleading queen. Uh, and it looks fun. It I looks mean, so it's fun. a good trailer. It looks like a lot of fun. Vince Vaughn looks like he's going to actually give a really good Vince Vaughn performance for 
first time in a very long time. But uh, it also plays up on his role in Psycho, which was a big breakout role for him for the Psycho remake, playing um, Norman Bates. So this is kind of a funny send up of that. And like I said, I love Blumhouse's high concept horror films. And this one looks like a lot of fun, like uh, Happy Death Day. Um, American Gods season three has been announced. We were all wondering if this is when this was coming. Uh, but now it's going to be here on January 10th, 2021. So if you're one of the people still using the Stars app, I guess you can see this or uh, otherwise, yeah. Do, I'm not do you guys watch the show or have you? I did. Season two was trash. Okay, like, I watched season garbage. one, but then I season stopped. Season one was great. Okay. Season one was great. Season two, absolute trash. Bummer. Um, and season three, now Stars has kind of fallen off because they got pulled from at least Xfinity Cable. I don't know about other cable providers but they got pulled from Comcast. So now you just have to go and pay for like entirely star streaming, which is Mm. never going to be something I do. Outlander is not that good guy. Sorry. And as much as I love the power universe, I ain't paying you for that. So that's that Uh, American gods three is coming up. If you care, Matt, you had some other uh, quick rundown mentions. Yeah. It's just a quick thing in power Rangers land. So today the uh, movie reboot we talked about last time, got a writer, uh, Brian Edward Hill, uh, who is like a writer from DC Marvel boom, uh, will be handling the script for the movie. So I am very stoked for that. Mostly because uh, while fallen angels was bad, except for that first issue, I actually liked it, first but everything else was bad, but angel was fantastic. So again, when we do like James Tynion and talk about writers, like sometimes they have a bad project, but other ones are good. So I'm hopeful uh, that we get Angel <laughs> side of this uh, for Power Rangers. Uh, also, by the way, just uh, as a shout out, uh, be on the lookout on Friday for some big Power Rangers news coming from comicbook.com. Can't tell you what yet, uh, but it will be there. So stick around. All right, exclusive. Cool. Yes, exclusive. Booyah. Oh, baby. Better listen to that Friday <laughs> show as well. Now, Matt, take us out with uh, what new comics are coming out this week besides three jokers all right so yes uh, of course we talked about three jokers we also have the amazing spider-man number 51 uh action comics number 1026 which has actually been really good lately uh i've been digging superman uh we have wonder woman number 765 uh we have the immortal hulk number 39 which took me way too long to get on board with but it is very good so jim was right uh batgirl number 50 the final issue uh in that series uh we also have ten of swords stasis number one suicide squad number 10 department of truth number two tmnt the last ronin number one which i know jamie lovett had some thoughts about uh star wars dr afro number five wind number five power rangers dragon new dawn number three which is the final issue of that series an unkindness of ravens number two uh giga i believe i'm saying that correctly number one which actually has a really cool premise from vault comics and then heavy number two which is the uh second issue of that series i talked about before where the guy dies and he's kind of uh his family he's trying to get like to the other side and he's like a hitman in the afterlife and it's this weird thing and then they dropped a huge bomb on the final page and now we get the second issue of that so definitely check that out if you're looking for something kind of different so that is comics all right that'll do it for this episode of comic book nation we want to thank you guys for tuning in as always we put up new episodes every wednesday and every friday on comicbook.com you can listen on the site you can listen on your favorite podcast platform which include apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. You can tell your smart home devices to fire up Comic Book Nation podcasts, or you can watch episodes live on Facebook every Wednesday and Friday. If you miss the live episodes, they are always backed up on the Comic Book Nation YouTube page. If you want to contact us or get involved in the show and follow what's going on, subscribe or follow now. Follow the at Comic Book Nation Twitter account now, or you can follow us individually. I'm at Kofi Outlaw. I am at Matt Aguilar CB. I'm Janelle Wheeler. You guys know where to find me on Twitch and all the socials. And Connor Casey underscore CB. If you like the show, go on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. One day when COVID has died down and we can get in our merch closet at the offices again, we'll be sending out T-shirts to our five-star reviewers. A lot of you have been dropping them. We thank you. Continue to do so because we'll show that appreciation back to you. Otherwise, we'll see you guys for our next episode. Be sure to listen in to some of our previous ones if you just are getting in the show or miss them. And uh, yeah, stay checked in, stay tuned in. We'll see you on the next Comic Book Nation. Peace. Peace. Later.